Hello, 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 and welcome to Black Universe TN Talk. It is TN Talk time, and we have a special episode tonight. Last uh, time we had a guest on, we had somebody who focused on all the different parts of the world that Africans are from. Today, we're going to do a laser on one part of Africa, and we have a special guest that's going to share all the things that she's doing with her initiative and everything else. But before we get started and introduce our guest, I want to say hi to the resident TN talkers. Okay, so I want to say hello, hello, hello to Ruth, my Haitian intellect. Como está? Bon week. Hi, everybody. Hey, how you doing? All righty. Good, good, good. How was your week and what are you sipping on tonight? Um, great sun kiss. You're killing me with this, Ruth. <laughs> I'm honest with what I do. You are, and you're killing me with this. First, last week it was Tang. This week you got great. You know what I love about you, Ruth? This is very what? consistent. You're being very consistent. <laughs> it's a school. You know what? It's, it's a school. It's, it's the day before a school night. So I have to get my head level. I can't be drinking wine. I'm going to be messy by the time I get my kids to bed. So, yes. <laughs> I don't, I'm not mad at you. And you know what, too? We lost an hour. So that definitely yes. is going to mess with a few people. I know I'm sipping on a little bit of a, um, you know, I went to Trader Joe's again today. You know, I like Trader Joe's. <laughs> and I got some kind of a peach sparkling wine, but it's not really wine. It's almost like a Prosecco. I don't know what it is, but it just tastes like peach soda to me. It know? sounds delicious. We yeah. might have to do some tea. We might have to incorporate a day of just tea. You know that, right? I feel like, you know what, let's do that the next time, because it is called Tea and Talk, right? So we must, we must have some tea. Either that or we do a wind down, like we do a wind down day and everybody bring their best wine. You know what, that's perfect for next week, because I think next week we're going to do Trinidad Carnival. So we do a wind down on Trinidad Carnival. How about that? Lime it. Yes. Yes. Very good. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you, Ruth. And I want to say hello, hello, hello to this Trini Socialite. Trini Socialite. Diane, what you been doing? What you sipping on? Hello, everybody. Remember that? Last week, I was actually sipping on tea, and I'm sipping on tea this weekend. So I'm on the tea thing. So you tea, and you, you tea, and you talking. I yeah. love it. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know if I ever told you about the time Diane came to my house at, at um, it was no, like no. somewhere between Christmas and New Year's. She sent me a text at like 7 in the morning saying, hey, I'm coming over with tea. In my mind, I'm thinking she must have some gossip for me. <laughs> but Diane actually showed up with a cup of tea and saltfish. Oh. Oh. So we were originally going to call this show Tea and Saltfish. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody told me it sounded like a cooking show. So we said, okay, tea and talk. That's right? true. Oh, yes. Oh, and she brought carnation milk. Oh, oh my God. Only way to have tea. <laughs> And hello, hello, hello to our special guest, Miss Nana Eisen. How are you? I'm good, ladies. How are you? We are good. We are good. <laughs> and I am really excited to hear what you have to say about your special project and initiative that you're doing and everything that you do, because I've known you for a very long time. Yes. I don't know that I ever, yeah, right? We go back like babies and pacifiers. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I ever got to know, like, you know, what it is you do. I always knew you were doing things for your country, but I never knew what. Right. So, uh, 
before we get started, I want people to know where you're from, but by that, I mean, I need you in three seconds to tell you, tell us the colors of your flag starting now. Colors of our flag is red, yellow, green with a black star in the middle. Yay. All right. Very good. I think that was three seconds, right? <laughs> so I am from Ghana, West Africa. Hey, hey. Is that a Ghanaian term? Hey. <laughs> no, it's something... <laughs> It's a West Indian, it's a West Indian, West African kind of like sound effect, almost like sucking your teeth. Oh, okay. So it's like chipsin. It's like chipsin. It's just like chipsin. Okay. I love it. I love it. So how was your weekend and what are you sipping on tonight? I am sipping on red wine, a Malbec to be specific. Oh, you drink Malbec? Oh. I do drink a Malbec. Okay, that's that's like a real, real strong, strong wine. A strong wine. I need a strong wine to wrap this night up. <laughs> <laughs> and how was your weekend? The weekend was good. I got a manicure for $11. And as soon as I started doing my daughter's hair, the whole fingernail polish came off. And so I'm back to square one with mm. my fingers looking like grave diggers. I tell you, you got to try the powder. I I'm going to try the powder. I'm going to try something. No, try, try, try the gel. Try the gel. But that was the thing. I just didn't want to get a gel manicure. This time I was like, oh, you know, let's just do something quick. As soon as I started braiding her hair with the, you know, edge control thing, I was like, mm. oh, okay, it's just sticky. And I went to go wash my hands and literally all the nail polish just started to come off. Wow. Mm. Wow. And right. that makes you wonder what's in the ingredients. So and now, you know, I'm quietly thinking about what's in that ingredient, but it's keeping those edges together. So I'm not. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> That little girl's edges be out. I'd be like, girl. Priorities, girl. You got a satin bonnet. You got satin sheets. You got a satin pillow. Why are your edges always? It's like they're running through the carpets with their heads. What are you doing? (laughs) I have never been lucky enough to have to do little girl's hair. But I've heard the stories and the hours of conversation of how to make the hair look neat for more than a day or two. For more than a day or two. Yeah, I empathize with all of you on that. And I remember um, the reason why I had actually reached out to you was because I saw that adorable video of your daughter. Will you want to tell us a little bit about that? And then we can. I mean, I almost was moved to tears when I saw it. It Oh, that's so sweet. uh, (laughs) So, oddly enough, a friend of mine, uh, Sharifa Murdoch, uh, has this festival. She started this festival called Envision Fest. She goes to a lot of trade shows. She was going to like BeautyCon, Coachella, all of these things. And she was like, you know, the thing that's missing is that there are no brown and black girls in these rooms. And Mm. none of these items, none of these products, none of these activations are geared towards brown and black girls. And she's like, and she's Trinidadian. So you can maybe, I'll set you up. You can have Sharif on next time. Um, Oh, that would be nice. Yeah. So she was just like, as a, you know, as a girl from Brooklyn, the only way that she was able to get to the position that she is because she had great mentors. And so she wanted to create a space where brown and black girls could come in and find products and find brands and find people that wanted to nurture and you know promote and empower them. So she created Envision Fest and it was envision whoever you wanna be, whatever you wanna be, and you can be that. Um, so she had this, um, so she did it, the first festival was last year. She did it with Laura Styles from Hot 97. And it was like amazing. It was like a sea of brown and black girls from like age 11 all the way to 18. And they were in seminars. 
and they were talking to beauty brands. They were going in and they were doing like vision boards for who they want to be. And they were being empowered by other brown and black influencers who wanted to be like, you know, who want to just pour into them. And so she's doing another one this year in September. So as part of it for Women's Month, she wanted to do this um, video. So the video features my daughter and Omalara is just like standing there. She's looking in a mirror and she's looking kind of sad. And it says, the, the mirror in front of her says she is. And then a bunch of brown and black girls come up and they, they write words of empowerment. And the more words they write, the more confidence you can see in Omalara's face. And, and it's like, she is beautiful. She is brilliant. She that is little smile. And it just like, her smile just gets bigger and bigger with the more words. And it's just kind of a testament is the more you pour into your, our girls and our kids, the more so they can be empowered to go into the world and do anything. You know, we pour into Omalara, we pour into her like literally, she's the only, she's the only child I have. She's the only child I'm going to have. And so everything I have, I put into her. And my husband does the same. And so especially having a, 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 a black girl in a predominantly white space where she goes to school, it's important that you tell her she's beautiful all the time. Oh, yes. And you tell her she's smart all the time. So when she walks into the room and everyone's got their Elsa hair, she's like, my hair doesn't do that. Like, my, I've heard her not, like, never in the space where she's like, mommy, can I get the braid that go? I said, we don't do that. The hair, our hair don't do that. <laughs> she goes back to school and all the other kids are like, let's put on these wigs. She's like, I can't. My hair don't do that. That's not my hair. Don't, that's not my hair. So it, we, and she's confident that I like my Afro puff. I like my curly Afro with the bow. This is what my hair does. And my skin is chocolate. I know your skin is not. It's no big deal. It's not your. I told one girl one time, it's not your fault your skin isn't chocolate. I was like, well, there goes that. I, I love like, that. I maybe love I, I was like, maybe too much empowering. You can't tell people. <laughs> I, like, I have to tell my daughter the same thing. <laughs> I was like, maybe that was too much, baby. Give a little bit. <laughs> Keep a little for yourself. You know, Again, like I really respect and admire a lot of the things that you do. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to share with us now that we have this whole conversation going on weekly about everything that has to do with the diaspora and us as women and moms. Mm -hmm. So please share with us a little bit about what you do, how you got started. Tell us a little bit about, uh, about your initiative. Um, okay, so I run an organization called African Health Now. And we provide primary and maternal health care, access to primary and maternal health care to women and children living across sub-Saharan Africa. So now our programs are in uh, Ghana and Nigeria specifically. And what we do is create mobile clinics in marketplaces to attract more mothers and, and women who work the market who, you know, will less likely to leave the market to go and get health care. So we bring the markets, we bring the health care to them in the market. And then we also have a maternity program at a clinic, at two clinics, um, where we support getting women to um, get prenatal care so that they can go in and get prenatal education. We also created this thing called the Maternity Go Box. And the box is essentially everything you would normally get when you deliver at a hospital in any place in the world, uh, especially here in America, but they don't get back home in Africa. So it's, you know, sanitary pads, diapers, wipes, a onesie for your baby, the little baby hat socks to keep the, you know, keep them warm, um, a blanket, some soap and things for moms to wash themselves after giving birth, 
So just like real basic necessity things that moms need. So we've been doing this for about 11 years, uh, African Health Now, doing the mobile clinics and the maternity initiative is about two years old. What made you start decide to start the initiative and how did you get the ball rolling? Because fundraisers are hard enough as it is because I worked on one and I was really like challenged, but how <laughs> is it to get the ball rolling when you're doing something internationally like this? Um, yeah, so I started when I worked at Essence, actually. Um, my dad had a heart attack while I was at a photo shoot for a, a beauty shoot. And so that's kind of what started me in the healthcare space. So I figured I know how to produce events and I know how to produce photo shoots and, you know, large production uh, activations and stuff. So I just kind of put those skills to work. I used my network. The very first mobile clinic we did, I'd called everyone I knew that was a doctor that was in medical school, that was Ghanaian or West Indian, and was like, you feel like going to Ghana? <laughs> like, and then I just convinced people to show up in Ghana, and they all showed up December 26th, the day after Christmas, and that's we just set up a clinic. And so that's kind of how we started the first clinic, which was initially supposed to be just, it was, it was initially supposed to be a one-time effort for me to say thank you to the people that were really kind and giving to my dad after he as he recovered from his heart attack and you know the first one I think we had about 350 upwards of 350 people show up and we had 21 volunteers from across the world so we had people from the U.S. people came in from Sweden people came from Germany so it's just like different places where Ghanaians had gone and we know that when we when Christmas comes most Ghanaians come back home no matter where they are in the world they come back home for Christmas. Um, so it was just easy enough to just galvanize all, all of these Africans who were doing great things and were, you know, doctors, lawyers, dentists, whatever, and put them to work. That's amazing. Thanks. That's absolutely amazing. Um, going back to how you came to the United States, um, we had been talking, um, us and the, the rest of the Burbies, have been talking about what it's like growing up Caribbean American. What are some of the challenges that you've experienced being uh, Ghanaian American? So I am really American American because I was a, essentially born in Brooklyn, but I was raised in Ghana. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I, I, but oddly enough, and I, I challenge this because a lot of, I don't know if you feel the same way as, you know, when you've been out of a country for so long and you go back, people start making fun of your accents and saying you're more <laughs> American than, you, than what you are. But my parents never spoke English at home. And I don't think I knew I was actually American until I had to get a passport. And they were like, no, you already have an American passport. And I was like, but everybody else needs a green card. Why don't I need a green card? Like, Lucky you. They're like, because you're American, fool. <laughs> so I just, my parents spoke tree at home. I don't, my mother didn't speak English at home until maybe like high school. Like she literally, spoke tree at home, despite the fact that both of my parents could speak English. Once they walked into the house, we only spoke tree. And so that's how I was, I just maintained that we didn't eat American food. Um, I mean, the only time I got McDonald's is when I started working at McDonald's in high school. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I got my hands on a cheeseburger. Because before that, <laughs> no one was buying me a cheeseburger, ever. Hilarious. So that's yeah, so... I mean, for me, I think that's been, it, it was never, I've just always known how to live two worlds. So when I step outside, I could be American and I can do 
and talk Amer talk English and have this kind of like vernacular that made me fit in. Um, and then when I walked in the house, I was African. So same. Yeah. Same as the rest of us. Exactly. Yeah, it was a solid, you know, exactly. It's the exact same. Like, and I grew up in a West Indian neighborhood in Brooklyn. So, I mean, I've been mistaken for a Trini. I've yeah. been mistaken for a Jamaican. You just learn to assimilate. You learn to, you know, I learned to speak Patois so I could fit in and, and not be stuck in a conversation where I didn't know if it was going left. Um, yeah. <laughs> I learned, some, learned my, some Creole words for my Haitian friends. Hey! So, you know, I fit in. <laughs> that is awesome. Awesome. I'm of Trini Trinidadian descent. So my question to you, I know that West African has a, a lot of influences on the Caribbean. And what are some of the most glaring ones to you? The same. It's, it's, it's food. It's, it's upbringing. It's ethics. It's, um, it's this pride of self. I think that's, those are the things that I've, I find that have always been glaring. I mean, I think the first time I went to Jamaica, I remember getting off the, the plane and being like, oh, I got this. This is just like getting off the plane in Accra. And I, I can flow in, I can, I'm comfortable in every West Indian home, every West Indian space, only because I know that the core essentials are the same. If you walk into a West Indian house, you better say good morning, good evening, mm -hmm. good afternoon. Mm -hmm. If you walk into an African house, you better say good morning, good evening, good afternoon. <laughs> there's certain core level things that I think we share um, just because of the fact that most West Indians are African and are, most if not all West Indians are African mm -hmm. yeah. so I, I think a lot of that um, is just genetic we share some things genetically <laughs> yeah that's amazing um, okay, so based on the census information Ghanaian women they kind of make up 51% of the population in housing Mm -hmm. So right now there's 36 women in the parliament. How do you see that being reflected with American, with Ghanaian women making so many changes in politics too? Um, I think it's, it's, it's this, just the tie has changed in terms of our, our politics for a very long time was male dominated. And it, similar to here in the U.S. in terms of like women just were not in the space in which they were um, affecting change. In a on a political space and we're kind of playing the background and now they're just realizing I can actually do this job better than you and a lot of them don't have to be lifelong politicians but are just women who are like I know how to do get this job done I'm fully qualified and they're putting themselves in the space um, and I think that that is changing in terms of both gender and in age because our politics in in Ghana specifically has always been old men and, and now it's kind of like a new guard is coming in. There are more younger politicians, you know, younger ap activists deciding they want to run for MP or they want to run for districts, different district leaderships and stuff like that, or just wanting to get involved. Um, and it's the same. So it's, you know, both gender and age is changing. And I think as we move forward, I don't see, you know, as, as even as Africa now has, we've had two feet, one, two, I think three female presidents if I'm not mistaken, we have a female president in Ethiopia. We had Ellen Johnson Sirleaf in, in Liberia. And I want to say that Morocco had a female president, but I could be wrong. I feel like there was a third one. Um, but I feel like as the tides change, women are seeing themselves in a position where they, they, they can, if I can run this household, I can run this country. Well, then that leads me to my next question. So, yeah. you know, 
How do you think we as moms can teach our kids about charity work, specifically when it comes to Africa? Um, I think the way I teach my daughter, because, you know, she goes with me when I do my health fairs. And How goes, old is she? She's six. Okay. Oh, and my so, daughter's six, too. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, Omalara is six, and she has, um, she has an understanding of what I do, and the same thing I've done with my nieces and nephews. I, you just throw them in there. I mean, I find that you just, if you throw your kid at a, you know, make them go to a local homeless shelter to, to hand out food, their perception and their concept in relationship with homeless people changes. They're no longer just these people that you see on the road that you can't, you know, you can't talk or like they're leopards. When you make someone engage with someone, it changes the dynamic and they now can have empathy for them, but also not feel sorry for them, but just be empathetic of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, and also for specifically to Africa, it helps changes. First thing you have to do is change your child's perception of Africa. And we did this project about, I think it was 2016. We took these three girls from New Jersey. They were part of this organization called Grassroots Foundation, run by a Jamaican, Janice Johnson, um, and two Jamaicans. Actually, two, put two Jamaican women together and you can make anything happen. So two Jamaicans, <laughs> Janice right. Johnson and Lisa <laughs> Maxwell. And we took three girls. They were aged, at the time, I think they were like 11, 12, 11 and 12 in that range. And they had to write, do a video of what they thought Africa was going to be like, specifically just Ghana. Like, what do you think it's gonna be like when you get there? And, you know, they had the traditional, it's gonna be dirty. It's gonna be like, like almost like a village. It's not, I don't know if they're gonna have any running water. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay. And that was, that's their honest thought. And it's okay to ask your kids, what are your honest thoughts about Africa? And then when they got to Ghana and they got off the airplane and the drive from the airport to their hotel, and you could see these kids looking out the window and being like, what? This is not what they told me it was gonna be like. And then when they get to the hotel, they have to now do another video. So what was Ghana like? What was it, what did you, what's your first impression? And everything they saw from the airport to their hotel challenged them. And it was like, I saw homeless people. I didn't see as many as I see in New York. I saw buildings, I saw houses, I saw kids going to school, I saw lots of cars. I saw, so like, the way you challenge your kid and get your kid involved is to find out what your kid's perspective is and then be proactive in making sure that you do everything you can to um, guide them in the right space so they don't think that Africans are living in a hut. Because and I think, I think that's a very good comment to make because, you know, the media, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. portrays anybody outside, excuse me, that's incorrect, because they even do it to black people here. They portray anything that's not who they are as something that is second class or lower class. Oh, totally. Yeah, so the fact that, you know, you were able to see the before and after of these girls was, fa was fascinating because they got to see that not all black, not all colored is actually impoverished. Not impoverished. all colored, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it changed their perspective. And then they, that's how they did. So they did charity. So they went in there and they were our health advocates and they had to do this cultural immersion. So um, the kids had to play with other African kids. And so the kids, the kids in Ghana taught the girls how to play a game we call Ampe. And then the girls from Newark taught the girls how to play those hand games. And that in and of itself is not charity, but it changes. These kids are just like me. Mm -hmm. We play hand games, we play games, 
they go to school, I go to school, some kids, and then they met kids that didn't go to school. And it, then it brings up the question, why can't she go to school? And it's like, well, she can't go to school because she doesn't have the money to go to school. Well, how can I help? Because the average child wants to help their other, the other kids. Like, mm -hmm. kids don't like for other kids not to be able to do the things they can do. So when you show them that and then they decide, oh, well, how can I help? Well, you think about it. How can you help? What would you do to help them? And then they create projects on their own that gives them advocacy and they feel like, oh, this is something I want to do and this is how I can help and you feel empowered. And so it, it's been amazing. Like even those three girls, I think one of the girls that went was this girl named Marley Dias. And from her advocacy, 100 Black Girls. 100 Black Girl Books, exactly. So she went on that trip to Ghana, advocated part of her experience. Ghana was a, shaped her experience. Also all the work that she was doing, community work that she was doing through her program shapes their experience, shapes how they want to now be like, I can actually change something. I might not be able to change the world, but if I could change my block, I'm doing great. And from my block, I can go to the next block. So I think as parents, we just have to teach our children to be empathetic and to be advocates for whatever their causes are or whatever, you know, their yeah. hearts are. Totally agree. I mean, they're socially communicating when they get together and they start mm -hmm. playing together and everything. It, it, it literally normalizes cultures around the globe so that yeah. we understand what we are all doing. Mm -hmm. and we're all doing pretty much the same thing. Yeah, we're all just trying to live. We're literally yeah. all just trying to, every mom, I've never met a mom any part of the world that didn't want the same thing for her child. Yeah. Every mom wants a healthy child, wants to educate their child, wants to give their child a better life than they did and wants a happy child. Yeah. That's what, everybody wants the same thing. That is so, so true. Um, and so the last question is about the 400th anniversary. And <laughs> So, like Colette was mentioning, this is the 400th anniversary of the first Middle Passage, and I know that the Ghana is doing a lot to commemorate. Can you share a little bit of uh, more about this, Nana? Yeah, so as I know it, Ghana, um, it's the 400th year, the 400th anniversary, where the first ship left our, our slave castles and went to Jamestown, Virginia. Hmm. And so, in an effort to bring back and kind of close this gap that has happened for 400 years of people feeling displaced. The, um, Ghana, the president of Ghana, Nana Kofwado, um, has created this uh, Come Back Home initiative. Um, and he wants to, he has invited people from the diaspora, no matter where your ancestors landed, to come back to Ghana and find ways to reconnect with Ghana, find ways to do business in Ghana, um, to just kind of register the fact that as Ghana has an open arms policy or an open arms uh, agenda towards embracing the, you know, people of the diaspora. That's amazing. Yeah. Really? So I know that this December, um, they've been, they'll be doing a bunch of things throughout the year. There's a, a bunch of different activations that are happening throughout the year, but I think the culminating one is this mass trip that's happening again in December. So there was like, I think it's called Full Circle. That's what it's called. So um, I think there was a there was a, a group of celebrities that went last this, this December that just passed. On Instagram. On Instagram that created a massive FOMO. So it's like everywhere I go, someone's like, I'm coming to Ghana. And I'm coming to Ghana. And I'm coming. I'm like, okay. And that was Bozema St. John and a group of... Uh other like a group, yeah a group of us so she and um i think she and boris 
kind of Boris Cujo, who's also half Ghanaian, kind yeah. of led, you know, have led the charge on really bringing back people and connecting people. And also just challenging the fact that Africa's safe. Like, I, I, I feel safe traveling through Africa. I don't think I've ever gone to a country, and I've gone to Ethiopia, Nigeria, Ghana, Togo. I drove from Togo to Accra. I, I'm like, I don't feel, I don't feel lost or scared or in danger. I, but as a, I'm from Brooklyn, so I'm, I'm not a fool. So there's certain, <laughs> I'm like, there's just certain things you gotta use activate common sense. But I yeah. don't think it has to be that. Oh, Africa is a frightening place to be. It's not. It's an amazing place to be, and Ghana specifically has. Every, it, it will show you life. You will see someone living in a mega mansion, one like you've never seen before. And you will see someone living in a kiosk and register the fact that that exists in every community, that exists in every part of the world. There's right. Trump Towers and outside of Trump Towers is a homeless man. There's right. nothing, you know, so you will see that in America. The notion that you won't see that in Africa is kind of preposterous. You will see that in Africa as well because some have and some don't. Um, I think the idea that people have that it's just like, oh, it's a developing country. It's a third world country. It's not. There's amazing innovations happening on the continent as a whole. There are some of the most brilliant people being raised on the continent, having never left Africa, but are doing amazing things. Um, and I think that's just the, if you open up your, your mind's eye to that perspective, you can travel any part of Africa and be amazed and, and have an amazing time. I literally like that. I want that to be my next trip. Oh, totally. I think I, I stopped traveling to Western, like, I don't want to go to Europe. And, and thankfully, I've, I've gone and I've been to Paris and I've been to London. But if I have a trip and we can go someplace, nah, I'm not trying to go to Europe. Yeah. I'm trying to I, go to Zanzibar. You're trying to go to Zanzibar. Basic, yeah, <laughs> I got a very basic Burby question, though. No, go for it. You could get you could get an airline ticket to Europe for like you know, for five dollars. You could get an airline ticket to Europe for five dollars. You're absolutely right. But getting a ticket to Africa can will get in your pockets. Yeah, it will get in your pockets. I won't lie. But there's different times. You just have to be equally as deliberate as we are to finding tickets to go to Europe, to finding tickets to go to Africa. There are certain places, depending on the season. You know, for everyone that's trying to go to Ghana in December, you're going to get it. Like, they're going to charge you an upcharge. Mm -hmm. Like, the tickets, the ticket, I think last December, there were tickets out there for $4,000 on oh, coach. But, and I and was then like, you got to bring your kids too. I was like, this is crazy town. I'm not paying $4,000 to go to Ghana. But um, I just was more deliberate about finding the right ticket. If you start looking for tickets now, if you don't want to go in December and you want to go in the off season, like August or a different, you know, something, something else, you can find tickets for $700. You can find tickets, but you're going to pay money to get there. You won't pay as much money to enjoy being there because the dollar has a higher value. Okay. Well, that's good. That's yeah. Good. So you'll, you know, it's a catch 22. It, it is going to cost you money to get there. I mean, I think my husband and I found a ticket once to South Africa for three hundred dollars. Oh wow! I bought. I ain't have no vacation days. I bought that ticket and was like, "We gonna make it work." I don't know yeah. how. <laughs> we, gonna, we going to South. He was like, "Did you just buy a ticket?" I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Where are we going?" I said, "South Africa." He was like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah." Three hundred dollars. I wasn't gonna let it go. 
I saw it. I took it. I'm going. We're going. Amen. You made an executive decision. Girl. I made an executive decision. I don't know if he had. I didn't know if he had vacation days or what. I was like, we just going. We're going. I love it. We're going. I love it. Uh, beautiful. We're living in such great times now, though, because our girls yeah. have such a sense of confidence now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate everything that you're doing, because with the initiative and being involved in so many things, Nana, you're really helping to elevate that message that Black girls should have. So for Women's Month, we wanted to salute you as we oh, salute ourselves, you. because we're all amazing here, right, ladies? Exactly. Right, ladies? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And so... On that note, I want to thank you for joining us and sharing your story. And we want to invite you to join us for Hot Topics tonight if you're welcome. I'm totally down for Hot Topics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.